0: fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. Who does that? The Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be
1: here, Dan. You know, I think we're about to break apart my absolute favorite Saturday morning cartoon, and when I'm honest with myself, I think this was number one.
0: Really? Number one? Is that right? A Saturday morning cartoons. There's a lot of good ones there, Denon. There are a lot of
1: good ones, but I just feel like as a kid, as I flashback now, as an adult, I might rate others as number one. But as a kid, this was definitely my number one.
0: Wow, I think that is something we should discuss further, ranking our top Saturday morning cartoons for sure. Uh, But speaking of a good one, we got a good one we have to get to, and that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siepzer. Ben, dare I ask, where are you recording from this week?
2: You know, this week, Dan, I'm offshore from this incredibly spooky house where a very strange dog has been included in a will.
0: Well, that is odd, Ben. That is very odd. But that is not that is not the only mystery that we're going to get to the bottom of during this episode, because we're going to talk about Scooby Doo. And as Ben Denon mentioned, this is his number one favorite cartoon, Saturday morning. But a couple things we got a couple things we got to get to right off the bat. And the first is Fred wears an ascot. These are kind of a little bit out of style, but maybe they're coming back. And it begs the question. Ben, can you tie an
2: ascot? Uh, I think so, but you have to first go to the tennis club to do it. <laughs> right,
0: that is that is very <laughs> true. Uh, now, what did you think about the laugh tracks in this? So this might be a Hanna Barbera staple, and I know you're, you know, on the fence.
2: Yeah, you know, at least in Scooby Doo, it's a lot less obvious than it was in the Flintstones. Like it was, it was a nice, subtle laugh track. I felt comparatively.
1: I will say this, Dan. This is the first time I noticed a laugh track without someone pointing it out to me because we've been talking about it so much.
0: (laughs) They are very obvious, especially in these cartoons. Because you think about it, it's weird that you're watching an animation. Uh, The idea that there is a studio audience watching this animation is just kind of, you know, it's that, that... causes a little dysfunction in my brain so to speak but uh, (laughs) that's where the jump is
2: maybe I also just think Scooby-Doo is funnier so it doesn't bother me as much (laughs) it's
0: more legitimate that's yeah I think you're right on that one well for me I just felt Scooby-Doo was
1: real so I never noticed the laugh track because of course you have a studio audience because it's real people
0: watching a real dog (laughs) yeah you know I think as a kid you're a little more forgiving of things like that but you know I'm with you I I just love this idea of the laugh track for these cartoons Um, but you know one of the Things that I think that's really important to establish right off the bat here, guys, is Scooby Doo is a supernatural show. I love supernatural things, but it's really about science. They're really we're going to talk about the original series, which is called Scooby Doo, Where Are You? And this ran for two years, nineteen sixty nine and nineteen seventy. And there's never an, a supernatural explanation. There actually isn't a supernatural explanation for anything in the series, until you get to the first Scooby-Doo movie, which is Scooby-Doo meets the Boo Brothers. You know, outside of that, the, the the villains are always other humans. It's always greedy real estate developers who are trying to scare people off the land to have it for themselves. Those are the real monsters here, guys. Uh, what do you think about that just as a theme? Dan, and I'm curious what you think. Well, I, I loved it, and
1: I really enjoyed it and going back and watching it. What I do find amazing, Dan, is that even though they— always find out it's real people. In every episode it seems like at the beginning they're convinced they might have found the first actual supernatural. So I feel like they're kind of the the precursors to the modern day ghost hunter hunters who hmm. would like to find something supernatural, but you know, they're sufficiently skeptical and scientific they never do. And it's the clues that always give it away, and Scooby Doo is particularly excited when he finds a clue. One of the few words he says quite clearly.
0: I, I think you're right on that, and I think one of the other questions that we have to ask here, because they're so skeptical, and they have a company called Mystery Inc. Their van is called the Mystery Machine. But it seems like they stumble into these mysteries. I can't tell if they're hired or not because the, the the rate at which these mysteries kind of fall into their lap is crazy. But I feel like I've got a couple of things here, guys, that I'm not going to reveal until later on, but I want to come up with a unified explanation of the Scooby-Doo world. Are you guys prepared to do that? Ben, I'm looking right at you.
2: Oh, absolutely. There's this. Uh, this world is rife for... A full coherent theory of yours, Dan. <laughs> Thank you, Ben.
0: Thank you. I know you're looking forward to it. Well, now, one of the things I think we can all agree that appears in every Scooby-Doo episode but is a little bit suspicious are are the masks. Everyone, there's always an unmasking, a dramatic unmasking at the end of the episode. And I got to tell you, the first question I had was, How can these masks be so realistic and portray such supernatural creatures as to fool these skeptics that you're talking about, Denon? What's going on here? Is there some kind of, uh, is there, you know, wishful thinking? You know, what's going on here, Denon? Well, you know, really what I think you're looking at is the sort of beginning
1: of mass technology. And as always happens, cartoons are ahead of the real world by a few years. Um, and so I was always impressed by the mask. And we we see this as a running theme. You know, Mission Impossible takes it over and takes it to a new level as well. Um, I'm I'm not so disappointed. I mean, disappointed is the wrong word. I, I actually find the mask very believable, Dan. I, I did not have that same skepticism that I think you do. Partly because um, there's also material science basis to masks. I'm sure they're using A very clever foam based technology here to design the ideal mask.
2: I think it's also fair that a lot of these costumes and masks aren't very complicated. Most of the ghosts we see in Scooby-Doo are really just guys wearing sheets and pillowcases. So... You know, I'm not too worried about the complexity on most of these creatures.
0: Well, I think that there's a couple that are, you know, I think there's a, a Mr. Hyde episode. Uh, there, there's episodes where people are dressed up as vampires, classic monsters. It's not all, you know, it's not all Charlie Brown ghost costumes with, with eye holes, I don't That's think. That's true. And, 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 and one of the things that really kind of was my first impression here, guys, was I thought this was impossible. I thought to myself, this is absolutely unbelievable, even for a cartoon like Scooby-Doo. Um, but it turns out I was wrong, guys. you want to hear how wrong that I was? Well, Dan, you know, normally I, I just assume you're completely right. So it would be very intriguing to hear how wrong you are. <laughs> Well <laughs> thank you Denon. Well so there is a guy his name's Landon Meyer of a company called Hyperflesh. I'm going to put in uh, uh, both a link and a video on the website. He creates super realistic masks. He, here's what he did. In 2013, he actually had Brian Cranston wear a Walter White mask around a Comic-Con. It was so convincing that people thought he was Brian Cranston as Walter White and then realized he wasn't and then took pictures with them but of course it actually was Brian Cranston so they heard his voice and said man you are a great Brian Cranston uh, <laughs> it's a really great little story but i got to tell you this was incredibly convincing uh, except for the mouth movement obviously but but I, I was pretty impressed by this guys
2: well you definitely don't have to worry about the mouth movement so much with these crazy monsters that we see Ben, I think that
0: that's exactly right, and I think one of the things that's really important here, and I'm going to put a couple links on the website about this, is there's been experiments that have really tested someone's ability to test the difference between someone wearing a mask and someone not wearing a mask, and it turns out one in five people, when taking as much time as they want while looking at a picture, can't tell the difference of someone being in a mask versus not in a mask. That kind of blew my mind, guys, because I thought it would have been easy, a cinch, you know exactly who's wearing a mask and who isn't, but it turns out our eyes can be fooled pretty easily. What do you think about that, Denon?
1: Well, you know, I think that goes right along with just the general challenges people have as being eyewitnesses. We see all the time how often they can get wrong the description of the person or you have a lineup and it's very hard for them to remember exactly what happened. We're always looking for all these other contextual clues. So I feel like with the mask, particularly in the monster situation, the costume, all the other people... All the other sort of accoutrements the person wears, as well as the context. You're in a scary, spooky house. Your brain expects the monster to be there and to be real. But again, the Scooby gang is clever, Dan. I I know we've been talking about this as if you were fooled by the mask. But every time they know and they say it clearly at the end, just as we suspected, and then they pull the mask off. So, I don't know that the Scooby Gang is actually getting fooled by these masks to the degree that we might assume.
2: I think the Scooby Gang is pretty credulous in the sense that they know that monsters are usually people filled with greed trying to steal an inheritance or something. So, they're ready uh, to look at these monsters uh, with skept- the skepticism they deserve.
0: I-, I think that that's true. And I think. Here's the other part of this, though, and I think this is actually what is more believable than a full mask, and that is a unique prosthetic, you know, facial prosthetic that is built just for you. Now, I thought this was impossible. Well, thank you, YouTube, for showing me a whole world of people who can create crazy, scary prosthetics in the comfort of their own home, it's super simple. I'm gonna put some YouTube videos up, up on the website because all you really need is a life cast of your head, which is very scary to make. I don't recommend you make a life cast at home without supervision. But if you have a mannequin head of your actual face, you can take some clay and basically form whatever thing you want on your face, put a little latex on it, peel it off, and you've got a unique prosthetic easy to form, and can create any kind of monster mask. I know we sound like a commercial here, guys, but I was actually convinced this could be pulled off. What do you think about that as a next evolution? Well, I love where you went with that, Dan. I mean, it's, it's one of these
1: things where I just, you know, I watch what people do with special effects, and just once again, I go back to the idea that so much of, you know, whether it's Scooby-Doo, um, but the early, let's call it science fiction, fantasy, whatever you want to do, predicts modern technology so well. And so this concept of taking mass to the extreme, they start with Scooby-Doo, and then the world's inspired. We're inspired yeah. by cartoons, mm-hmm. Dan. That's what happens. And then we're very smart people,
0: and we figure out how to make it. I think that that's exactly right. I think I, I, I was convinced for sure after watching this that it was possible, but um, you know life imitates art art imitates life i think I think you've nailed something right there denon um, now let's talk about speaking of art right some of these haunted houses and the traps that they utilize to capture the scooby gang or even just startle the scooby gang are kind of amazing works of art and some of the things i'm talking about are like bookshelves that you know that you pull a book and it opens up into another room or these weird shoots around a house or even a trap door uh, I found some videos that show these are Pretty makeable, but I'm guessing if you want to have the level of intricacies that some of these monsters do in the Scooby Doo episode, you got to build your haunted house with this in mind first. Uh, Ben, have you ever thought about this and how would you create these types of secret passages?
2: Yeah, absolutely. When you see these wonderful uh, secret passages in these houses that you know, you pull a book and you and all of a sudden you have a whole hallway behind you. That's something that has to be architected in from the beginning, engineered in from the beginning. Um, You know, normally walls aren't big enough to have like a secret, allow you to walk around inside of them. So you have to prepare for that from the beginning. So clearly they've uh, worked with their architects and their structural engineers to uh, design these great passageways and secrets in these buildings.
1: So what I wonder about this, Dan, you know, I'm talking about the creative side, right, is as much as I love them in Scooby-Doo, there tends to be a standard, very small subset. So, you know, the trick always is the book opens it. You do have to figure out which book, but you know, it's a book that's going to open the door or there's, you know, a great one. I love it. You know, Shaggy just happens to accidentally sit on the exact rock that triggers, you know, the opening of the secret passage in, in you know, the side of a, a, a cave wall. So, it, there's sort of a standard subset. And I wonder, you know, the, the challenge for me would be getting really creative in other ways of hiding or triggering your secret passages. I think that, that's a sort of fascinating challenge. And I also wonder with, you know, electronics, um, a lot of these things seemed analog, which is a very safe way to do it. I don't know if you guys have done escape rooms, but I do find that often the electronics in these escape rooms become tricky and fail. And so there'd be this temptation to use electronics in the modern day, where I think the old analog methods are probably the most reliable. Those are just some random thoughts, Dan, triggered by Ben's deep analysis.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the analog things like switches, especially mechanical ones, are generally going to be a lot more reliable on this level. Uh, ro- electronics and escape rooms, unfortunately, often are broken. And that's, that's usually more due to cost cutting and... <laughs> engineering than it is the inherent safety or the inherent reliability of electronics. But it is true that uh, unless you engineer an electronic, uh, you know, door latch or door, for that example, from the beginning, that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily going to be reliable if you just cobble it together with like a microcontroller and some jumper wires and a motor, you know, a, a wheelchair motor you find uh, odds are your connections aren't going to be robust and, you know, the vibrations and mechanical strain from that motion is going to shake something loose and your system's going to fail.
0: So once again, then an analog technology rules out is what you're saying.
1: Oh, that's definitely what I'm saying. Though what would be fun, in addition to analog technology, I would, you know, it's a little premature in the Scooby-Doo shows, but a, a few more photoelectric effects, you know, breaking those I-beams, um, to cause the trap to go off mm. is something I've always loved as a physicist. Just love the photoelectric effect. You know, you got to use it as much as you can. I I couldn't agree with you more.
2: I'd really like to see sequences. You know, if Shaggy's just going to sit on a random rock and open the door, that's kind of a failure of security. You really should have uh, a system where you have to sit on the right rocks in the right order. And if you hit the wrong rocks, it you know locks you out for a little while. That way, you don't have accidental uh, hippies uh, getting into your secret passageways. (laughs) Could
0: you do that from an analog way? Could you have like an advanced mechanical lock that you have to sit on the right way?
2: Um, You could certainly have uh, systems that require sequences. You know, safes, you know, old mechanical safes obviously require you to uh, press buttons in certain... or spin a dial in a certain sequence. So you could definitely do something like that with buttons as well.
1: Yeah, Dan, I was going to say, you know, the mechanical analog is just the gym lock locker that we all had. You know, <laughs> spin to the right, spin to the left,
0: spin to the right. You don't do it in the right order. You're not opening it. Well, I was going to say that memorization is always key to that, but I can tell you 16, 14, 36 was the number. That is the combination from my middle school locker. Uh, so and a little master <laughs> lock. So uh, it sticks with you for sure. Um, one of the things, you know, Denon, as I, I always tell you I never pass up an opportunity for self-promotion and I want to I did an episode on HH Holmes on my podcast Fascinating Nouns and you want to talk about Ben you want to talk about a guy who designed a house with secret passages he basically created a murder factory in Chicago uh, which included getting guests into the into the hotel killing them a- asphyxiating them and then disposing of their bodies in the basement so uh I- I'm not saying Scooby he took a Scooby Doo took a page out of his book but it's really close if you when you come to think about it. Um, so now let's let's talk about we you know we got the house we got the masks but now we've got to create these supernatural effects. I immediately turned to the spiritualistic, the spiritualism movement of the 1800s when Ouija boards came into play. You know this idea of con- contacting the spirits of the dead. Uh, there were a lot of tricks, as we know, we find out later on, a lot of ways that they were fooling people. This is kind of fun. You know, I think low-level illusionist magician tricks can kind of achieve this effect. Ben, I know this is something that you love. What did you think about this?
2: Yeah. So th- there's all sorts of cool old effects that many of us have seen like a lot of us have seen what's called a pepper's ghost which is a system where you use an angled piece of glass to make it look like there's a ghost that there's a floating ghost because the person is actually to the side of the angled glass and because of the way it reflects it looks like the person is basically where the glass is and you can see this effect in, say, the Haunted uh, Mansion ride on at Disneyland and many other places. So these were very common techniques in stage illusionism uh, back in the day. But there's also what was called a phantasmagoria, which is an e- even a more in-depth process where uh, people would use projectors. They'd use noisemakers like the shaky thin sheets of metal to make uh, wailing sounds and thunder sounds. You know, all of this would come together to make people think that uh, ghosts were real and haunting. And back in the day when we didn't have HDTVs that allowed us to see things really accurately, um, you know, cr- creepy shadows and creepy lines, you know, you know, in the right environment with the right uh, feelings of all the people around you, you will think you're in a haunted house.
1: You know, Dan, just to confirm this, even in modern times, when I'm walking my dog late at night and I'm in the wrong place, um, the flag we have out of our front of our house, the shadows it creates out of the corner of my eye, I am always convinced I'm being attacked because it's just coming at the wrong angle. And it's just like in this weird way. So these, I don't know, optical illusions is part of it. Mental illusions. You know, I liked what Ben said. When you're in a When you're put in a certain sort of frame of mind, these things happen. And, you know, everyone who's seen just a really good magician, you know, the things they're able to do um, with manipulation of materials is just absolutely amazing. Um, And what I I love that in Scooby-Doo, that they bring all of that in.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that when you're in a mindset that you want to believe something, it just takes a couple different little, uh, you know, proof, quote unquote proof that that's actually going on for you to buy into it.
2: And I love that oftentimes the bad the bad guy in the Scooby Doo is a magician. You know, it, it really shines a spotlight on the fact that the techniques these the the bad guys in the show use are magicians techniques.
1: It's it's even weirder though that occasionally, and there's like one episode that we just I just rewatched, stuck in my mind that the magician actually explained how he did the one thing the gang hadn't figured out at the end. The gang's like, Oh, you did this, this, and this, and here's how you did it. I just can't figure out how you walk through a wall. And he used the whole, you know, projection thing to do it. Um, I thought it was very nice of him to explain to them the technique because most magicians will not reveal their secret.
2: Yeah, I I was convinced he was going to use that technique to escape, but, you know, that was... you know, maybe that's a more modern, uh, narrative technique.
0: Well, I thought he was going to use it to plea bargain down and get a lesser sentence. Um, you know, he explained how he did it. (laughs) I I don't know. That's the cynic I am, uh, you know, and I want to tell you one quick story here. I'm going to put this up on on the website, but there's a great story about old seances where you would have, you know, the medium, you know, a a person from the audience would tie their hands together and they would go into a room and then all this weird stuff would start happening and people would say, Oh, well that's because, you know, if their, her hands were tied in the back, you know, it had to be ghosts. And it turns out, it's exactly what you guys are saying. It's, you know, it's escape artist tricks. Harry Houdini is the one who spotted a lot of this stuff in his time. And it's just, you know, it's a it's a stage production. It's play. It's, it's, it's theater. But once you're in that mindset and you want to believe, it's kind of easy to convince uh, people that, you know, what they want to believe is actually true, which I think will lead me on to the next step here, guys, um, because, you know, at the end of every episode, the gangs make a trap to catch the bad guy. But what we see here in every single episode, is Scooby-Doo is either responsible for prematurely firing this Rube Goldbergian-type trap, or he's involved in screwing up the trap. Uh, I think this is a real question of why, and I'm curious what you guys think before I reveal to you a mind-blowing theory. Then I'm going to go to you first. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I think part of it here,
1: from my perspective, is that Fred is just, like, overachieving. Um, He usually seems to be the one who is key in developing and explaining the trap. And Scooby-Doo as a dog can get right to the heart of the matter and go, you know, we don't need all of this, you know, hoopla um, to achieve the goal. And it looks like he's accidentally triggering it early or accidentally screwing it up. But in my mind, Scooby-Doo is actually a genius. I know we've had this debate on many past episodes, um, but I think he's actually a genius and he sees the direct path to capturing the bad guy and just executes it as a rogue individual.
2: Yeah, I have to agree with you there, Dan. You know, whenever I watch these Rube Goldbergian traps and I just think there's no way this guy's going to stand still while the bowling ball hits the lever, which hits the bowling pin, which hits the thing, which drops the chandelier on them or whatever. And it's like Scooby-Doo's getting to the point. He's just climbing on the chandelier and he's going to drop it at the right moment, rather than hoping all these things uh, fire off at just the right sequence.
0: Well, I'm going to give you a little phrase here, guys. I'm going to call it plausible deniability. What am I talking about here? Well, I did some very deep thinking here, and I analyzed a few things. It's what I do. and you know that. Uh, and I took a look at the theme song. It's where I go to first. Now, this is a show called Scooby-Doo, Where are you, right? Well, number one, there's four humans on the show. Why is it named after the dog? And where is he all the time that everyone is asking every episode, where are you? Theme song, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? We've got some work to do now. What does that mean? Well, I think that Scooby-Doo is actually planning these heists with the villains, the bad guys. He's got a hand in that. Then the second line, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? Again, wondering where this guy is. We need some help from you now. That's the gang saying, we need help to catch the villain. He's being pulled in several directions at once. That's where the where are you comes from. Now, I believe that he is very... Charismatic, and he is almost a cult like figure, which then causes people to, as we mentioned before, believe what they want to believe. That Scooby Doo is this innocent, goofy, scared little dog who is trying to help them solve a mystery. But that is not true. What he is doing is he is skimming a cut off of the heists, then he is planting. The, the clues for the gang to find, and then he turns in the criminals, foils their plan for the reward money. So he's getting a cut of it both ways. And then Mystery Inc. Maybe they get a cut of this reward money as a group. He gets his stuff. Well, what does he need this money for? Well, I'm going to tell you. Here's the end of that. Here's the end of that theme song. You know, you got a mystery to solve. So Scooby-Doo, get ready for your act. Don't hold back. Scooby-Doo, if you come through, you're going to have yourself a Scooby snack. That's a fact. It's all part of the charade, guys. He's using that money and taking it and investing it in Psychedelic Foods, Inc., which is the maker of Scooby Snacks, and then he gets a Scooby Snack. Where does he get the Scooby Snacks from? That's right. The gang is buying them, so he's getting their money as well. It's Scooby-Doo who's making out like a bandit here, guys. I, for one, want to see an end to this. Denon, what do you think about that? I know it's a lot to digest. Well, you know, Dan, it's very clever. I I agree
1: with most of your logic. Um, I I do think Scooby-Doo is the genius here. I think he's taking advantage of the game. I think he's leveraging all of this to get the Scooby snacks. I have to admit, I'm going to have to disagree with you just a little. How dare you, I don't know that – I know. I know. It's a risk I have to take. It's the hat. It's making me do crazy things. Uh, So – So I I have trouble with him also being part of the bad guys. And as I said, I'm going back to my childhood. You know, I I know it's not rational. It's not logical. But it was my favorite show. And I spent many a year playing um, Scooby-Doo, which is a weird game to play. I know. We don't really have to go there. But um, I I have a dedication to him that just makes me hard to put Scooby-Doo in with the bad guys. However, I'll add a little twist to yours. He may be secretly setting up the bad guys ahead of time, right? He may be a triple-double agent here. So it's not that he's a bad guy, but you're right. He plans with the bad guys because he knows he's going to come and catch them. That's the other way I could go with this with you. So I'm either with you like 99.9% and just he's really like actually tricking the bad guys in this or he's not with the bad guys at all. But all the other stuff and the fact that he gets all the money and he gets all the Scooby snacks with you 100%.
0: I think you've been duped then I'm a little worried about you. That's uh, I think you got a little bit of naivete there. This man's a menace. Uh Ben, what do you think about this?
2: Well, I think I think it's clear from the the haunted house here where Scooby's in the will. Um it's not just that, but he's 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 saving people or maybe just pretending to save them. You know, maybe he's setting up the the fake danger. So they think he saved them and he's getting a cut of the will, too. You know, he's got a whole scheme going on here. Um, Hopefully the saves are real and he's not just uh, faking the dire circumstances he's saving his uh, friends from.
1: Well, I don't know. I I know, Dan, you're thinking I'm naive. I know, Ben, you're going this route. But we also know that Ben lives a double life and is secretly an evil uh, villain engineer. That's been established at many of our panels. So I'm not sure that I can trust Ben's analysis of someone else just from that perspective. So I'm sticking with my naivete
0: in keeping Scooby-Doo a hero.
2: I'll just say, Dan, it takes one to know one. <laughs> uh, what is happening
0: here? We're supposed to be like the Scooby gang. We're falling apart here, guys. Um, this is unbelievable. Uh, but let's, so let, we better end this before we end up falling apart. We've got a couple ep- other episodes to shoot here, guys. So uh, let's get to our errors, additions, and omissions section. This is things we want to talk about, uh, but we didn't have time to. We we're going to stick them here at the end. Denon, did you have anything that we missed on Scooby-Doo? Where are you? Well, it's been so long, I hadn't realized
1: that Scooby-Doo set the standard for blockbuster action movies' destruction of stuff around them while they're saving things. It opened right with the first episode in the museum. A shaggy takes out, like, three floors of the museum and ruins an entire thing. They take out an airplane and its wings. You know, that actually, Dan, might be the piece that convinces me that you and Ben are completely right – Clearly, they're bad guys and good guys with the (laughs) level of destruction. But, you know... Marvel, Superman, all of these people, Batman get credit now for destroying whole cities, trying to save lives. Scooby-Doo set the standard for destruction while saving people. And that's just all I've got to say. Uh,
0: I, think, I think you're exactly right. It is, it's amazing to see the number of priceless artifacts that do get destroyed in that pilot episode. <laughs> it tells you that they were setting the stage early for sure. Uh, ben, did you have anything that we missed?
2: Yeah, well, one other thing I got to say is, what, what is Scooby-Doo? Um, you know, he he talks. He has opposable thumbs. He can grab things. He can walk on two legs. Is he even really a dog? I don't know. It, it's very suspicious. <laughs> Wow, that gives you a lot to think about, doesn't it, Ben? That really
0: uh, I don't know, but it definitely adds a little credence to our story that he might be the bad guy, cause he's not even of this world, possibly. I'm putting words in your mouth there, Ben, but I like what you said there. Uh, I got a couple things. Number one, Scooby and Shaggy eat a lot. I didn't realize. I forgot how much that they ate. It's almost their driving force, uh, which is really weird. Shaggy, his real name... I bet you guys don't know this. It's Norville Rogers. Uh, what, a, what a great name, Norville Rogers. He should have just gone with that. Uh, there's an, you know, I love the show, the, the TV show Supernatural. There's a great episode called Scooby Natural. A lot of fun if you haven't seen it. Um, and that's, you know, really all I have. I do have a picture with the mystery machi- machine. I'm going to put it up on the website, the actual mystery machine from the live action movie. I'm going to dig it out of the archives. Uh, but if we've missed anything else, you can get in touch with the show. We're on Twitter at F Pod, or on Facebook at G B T, but you can get in touch with us individually. Dennett, where can people find you? Well, people can find me um, on Twitter, Instagram
1: at Dennett Michael, just switch my name, and then on Facebook at Prof Dennett Michael.
2: Ben. Where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at bsipser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R.
0: And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. So if you know a dog who is using his charms to maybe set up crimes and then actually catch the perpetrator in the crimes in order to get more treats and more snacks, you need to turn that dog in. Because he is a super villain. And if you want to be a superhero, that's what you got to do. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenn Co. production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like the show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, FGGBT.com. That's FGGBT.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page, links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes. Click on that and go to your favorite episode. There you can find the show in its entirety. You can find the links that we talked about, the in real life examples that we brought to you, including videos. And of course, we've got each episode has its own YouTube video. You can watch it there if you prefer. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.